Hello, welcome to this special Christmas edition of the Game Podcast. What a year it's been. There's a lot to be thankful for. And if you're home alone or you you can't be back with your loved ones, then don't worry. We've got the perfect Christmas tonic uh, with some of our archetype good cheer to get you through to Boxing Day and all the great fixtures to come as well. And to help me through it all over the next hour or so, uh, well, what should I say? The three wise men, Jonathan Northcroft, Gregor Robertson and Tom Clark. How are you doing, guys? I can tell you're in a cheerful Christmas spirit if you're calling us lot of wise men. Goodness <laughs> me. <laughs> of course you are very wise. Each of you very distinct as well. You know, myrrh, frankincense, gold. I'll give you nicknames, I'm sure, by the end of it. What what are the Christmas plans? Everyone happy? I mean, there was some, let's be honest, some bad news around what we can do for Christmas. Are we all comfortable this year? I mean, depends what you mean by comfortable. Obviously, you have to remember the big picture. Things are much mm-hmm. worse for other people. But um, I was planning on venturing north to see family for the first time in a while. And uh, myself and my girlfriend actually had our, you know, you do the fake Christmas Day thing on Saturday. We're not going to see each other for a while. So we got up in the morning, had a nice breakfast, opened our presents, went for a walk, you know, pretending it's lovely. And as we were out and about at about two o'clock, my friend who works for Sky News texted me and said, uh, Tom, you might want to run for a train now because they're going to whack London into tier four. And I was like, you've got to be joking me. So anyway, after a brief contemplation about uh, whether or not I wanted to be shamed by Mail Online for running for a train, I decided not to. And so now me and my girlfriend have just got to decide whether we rewrap our presents or whether we make a shuttle run to Marks and Spencer's to get some new ones for uh, for a few days time so it's got, and we haven't got any food in either and that was the other thing as well woke up on Saturday morning the other thing I did remembered really pleased cancelled the veg box that was due that was due, <laughs> it was due to arrive on the 23rd all my wonky parsnips and funny shaped potatoes cancelled it the cut off for reinstalling it was midday Saturday so I'm complete, com- no presents, no veg box. I'm going to have to do a sh- you know danger dash in my hazmat suit to Marks and Spencers or Tesco's in a few days to try and uh, to try and rescue things because otherwise the 25th is going to be me and my girlfriend watching the Lincoln Season Review DVD and that's that's all. I can offer. <laughs> that's not a bad way, not a bad way to spend it, Gregor. You're in London, aren't you? Yeah. I- Pretty similar, really. I'd even gone as far as to, I'd done seven of my 10-day isolation period. I'd had one test. I was going to get another one. Go back to see my mother in her mid-70s for the first time since February. Um, And then it was the same. It was like, you know, could we possibly drive up the road? But I'm not, I wasn't doing it. So, so yeah, we did. Say again? Pull a Dom Cummins. It's fine. (laughs) So we're the same. We'd even gone as far as to send, to have our presents delivered to Scotland to each other me and Susie so we don't even have any presents in London <laughs> up the road <laughs> so and then uh, yeah we've, we've already done the, the Marsha Spencer's run 6am the other day I can't believe I'm one of those guys who's like queuing it as the doors opened uh, oh no. just to make sure I got a turkey so I've got my food and it could be worse are you cooking? I am well it'll be a shared a shared uh, venture yeah, yeah, you went for it. I out well, actually. Yeah, we're gonna. He <laughs> tried to give it the big. I was gonna ask you specifics. I was gonna. You were gonna be a Gordon Ramsay very shortly. So you're very lucky. You, you passed some of the responsibility on, Gregor. I'm. A, I'm a bit like you. So I was in central London when I found out that we were going into tier four, and I'm very much a Christmas Eve present buyer always last minute absolutely honestly so i I left work at about 7 p.m on saturday in london bridge and i was just like i've got to do it i've got to make the dash into central london into the belly of the beast bond street on saturday night which was just insane but i mean it was just like people dashing around including me i can't deny it trying to get last minute gifts very fortunate that i did manage to maybe the budget went a bit higher than than i was uh, expecting beforehand but the thing that got me the most was the sheer number of people in the middle of central london in the middle of a pandemic i i, I can't complain too much because i was there too but i wasn't taking pictures for social media oh my word what are people doing? I mean, in the hundreds, just like, let's just stop in the middle of a crowd and take some pictures for socials. And it's like, guys, what are you doing? 
people that had clearly just come for a bit of a jolly. And of course they were like, look, I used to be one of them, just like little kids from London running around last minute causing havoc as well. So, um, But that's become the norm, hasn't it? To relate it back to football. And remember, we are on a football podcast. It's the same as getting getting your phone out when you stood behind the goal and there's a penalty. If you go to a busy shopping street or something's happening in the middle of the road, oh, I've got to get my phone out. Got to get my phone out. Why would I not? It just becomes a knee-jerk reaction, doesn't it, unfortunately? But... Um, Funnily yeah. enough, there was a there was a guy who I don't know Arsenal fans will be familiar with. Um, I, I don't know. He's like a guy that walks around with a trolley with a speaker on playing music and he just sings an Arsenal song. I think he was on a recent Arsenal promo talking about um, coming, moving over from Africa and why he sort of is this big Arsenal character. You know, he's got his big umbrella up in the air and it was just off the back of Arsenal's defeat and people were just looking at him like... What on earth are you doing? Arsenal have just been beaten in their rubbish, standing literally on Oxford Street, singing Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal. Ar-. And it was really, really odd. But then again, one of those quirks of, of British football too. Jonathan Northcroft, what are your plans for Christmas then? Oh, um, look, looking forward to this one here, having a nice family Christmas. Um, usually go to Aberdeen, but that's that's out of things. And I, I, I can't deny the avoiding nine hours in the motorway with a couple of little kids in the back has got its benefits. Um, my challenge is I, I usually do the cooking at Christmas and um, I made the mistake of taking the kids to the, the butchers when I was ordering our, um, I think it's a cockerel, not a chicken. And um, they're kind of thinking about becoming vegetarian. So they sort of spent the whole time in the butchers going, oh, they kill animals in here. This stinks. <laughs> and, and then um, when, when we went out, I sort of explained to them I'd ordered this lovely chicken that had been running around the fields and it was a really nice thing to do. And my oldest sort of went, yes, but now, now we're waiting for it to die, aren't we? I mean, you know, we're, we're not going to pick it up until it's, it's died. So that's what we're waiting for. And I was like, yeah, that, we are kind of waiting for it to die. Yeah. So um, just... Um, just trying to get through Christmas Day without too many questions about um, this chicken's life will probably be my challenge. <laughs> Listen, you, could, you can't avoid those exploratory investigative questions from young children, unfortunately, Johnny. There will be more before Christmas comes. Tom? Well, Johnny, I was just wondering, I was going to ask, but then I assume your kids are both big fans, so maybe you can't answer this question, whether they've got um, full Scotland kits for uh, their present this year. Because I know you said they watched the highlights of the penalty shootout. This is, this, this is the Christmas, isn't it? Full kit, everything, full shebang. It's in... Interesting you ask that because somebody has asked for a Scotland kit for Christmas, but it's not the kids. Uh, <laughs> fingers crossed. Yes. No, if, yeah. if you get one, you have to wear it on the next podcast before, <laughs> before the year is out. Well, at, at the moment, my, my eldest says she supports whichever team is winning, which is um, kind of like modern journalism type thing. So she's, <laughs> she's developing well. Uh, lots of special Christmases on the way wherever we are of course uh, we at the times wish you the the nicest possible Christmas before the end of the pod as well we'll talk about our reasons to be cheerful football wise uh, so far this year as well Um, plenty of reasons to be cheerful at Leicester at the moment we'll start with them they're second in the Premier League uh, after a 2-0 win at Spurs Leicester striker Jamie Vardy saying the team had a plan and executed it perfectly his manager Brendan Rodgers though says don't get carried away too much when asked about a a potential title tilt I wonder how good Johnny you think Leicester can be yeah I think Brendan's probably right uh bearing in mind what happened last year where you know Leicester was second at Christmas and there were there was a little bit of talk about um even challenging Liverpool and and the second half of the season was really um where it all came unstuck, it was in a big anticlimax. So he's, he's probably using a bit of experience there. But the impressive thing is, when you think about how disappointing going from second to falling out to fifth was at the end of last season, that um, it's the way they've been able to go again and go again more or less with, with the same group of players, which just speaks of a good culture, speaks of a, a, a lot of belief there and what, what Brendan's doing. And I think they are a little bit better than, than last year. Fafana's given them um, an extra bit of class at the back. Castagna's been a really good signing. They've, they've got to where they are with injuries and now, you know, Castagna's back and Didi's back. Um, the, the problem last year, you know, Leicester's first team and Leicester's way of playing and they're playing really, you know, a lot of teams are doing it 
quick transitions. Um, they do it better than just about anybody. The problem has always been the depth of the squad, and it is a little bit deeper this year. You can see Brendan even using more of the squad deliberately, I think, in the early part of the year. Like um, Even Slomani's had a game, Mendy's been playing. I still wonder in that second half of the season, with the amount of games, whether how much this can be sustained. Um, but Leicester, with with um, with everybody firing, are as good as anyone outside Liverpool, I would say. The injuries have been... That's kind of almost makes it more impressive, the fact that, you know, last season after Christmas, they fell away. But they've already seemed to have had their, their really hard stretch. If they had as many injuries in the second half of the season, they'd be extremely unlucky. Castagna, Amarty, Soyuncu, although I think he's back in over Christmas. Pereira's close. Um, Evans missed a bit of football. Madison's missed football. They've had some really, you know, and and what's been impressive is the way they've adapted. You know, they played a lot of the season with three at the back and kind of, as Johnny says, quick on the transitions. Tielemann's been brilliant. They kind of have a bit, bit of a deeper role at springing those attacks. So, you know, the, I think the kind of the way they've adapted to that and their flexibility, they've gone back to back four now and it's, you know, Madison's back and flourishing. Um, and And still just the way that players seem to emerge. James Justin is just an absolute joy to watch. I was just, I was looking, I was thinking, because he's so comfortable at left and right back, I, I can't see a team in the Premier League outside Liverpool and Chelsea that he wouldn't walk into now. I mean, he's he's outstanding, both defensively and, and in an attacking sense. And, and it's so rare for a player, particularly a player that young, to be so comfortable on both sides. Like, it's... Extraordinary. Come from League One as well. So he's, you know, he's the latest to emerge. As I said, Castagna's been a great signing. Uh, Harvey Barnes, I've, I've gushed over enough on this podcast. I think he's, you know, my love for him is real. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, and then just the fact that Vardy continues to to kind of defy all expectations, really, and, and seem to get better and better. So there's a lot to be positive about for Leicester I think um, and part of it is the way they've coped so well with a, a lot being thrown at them in this early part of the season after that disappointment that Johnny said and the way they've been flexible now it is, it is the Christmas podcast so I am going to be you know throwing out some some love and some good tidings and also probably acknowledging a few comments I've made in the past and one of them about Leicester was after their defeat against West Ham when you know that that game was uh, kind of a classic duel between two very different styles, and West Ham won that game comfortably. And Leicester didn't look like they had any answers to West Ham set up very defensively and hit them on the counter attack. And so the fact that Rogers and Leicester worked out a way of playing that was slightly different. Yeah, we talk about quick, quick transitions and stuff, but I didn't feel like watching that Tottenham game that they had lots of the ball all the time. You know, until Sir Jorier did what Sir Jorier often does and barged into the barged into the back of someone in the penalty area, you know, we'd have been nil nil at half time in quite an intriguing little tit for tat type game, I think. And that's not to do that. This isn't me doing Leicester down. This is actually me praising Leicester, as funny as it sounds, because they were very good at beating Tottenham the way Tottenham play. And I think that was the next step I wanted to see from Leicester to see whether they could go on and be a top four side. Uh, and I think they're showing that now. The other thing I would say is they've also got players, as well as all these emerging players, they've got players who've been in the squad who continue to perform. Mark Albrighton, every time I watch Mark Albrighton, I think, you know, fair play to you, mate. Like no one, maybe no one will remember Mark Albrighton for being a top level Premier League player, but absolutely superb. Wilfred Ndidi was fantastic against Tottenham in that midfield, going up against everyone's favourite midfield, defensive midfield, Trio, Hoyberg and, and Dombele. And, and Dombele got hooked at half-time, you know, and Ndidi was fantastic. So they've got those players as well that give them a kind of grounding in the squad as well. No, I, well, well, maybe maybe your doubts may be similar to mine. I mean, it, it's so blindingly obvious, but there is a precariousness based on the reliance on Jamie Vardy's goals um, and creating goals by using Jamie Vardy's pace and only doing it that way. But I think the one, the big fact is James Madison for me, that if you look at last season's decline, it coincided with him really losing form and then being injured. And I, want, I just wonder if, if the emergence of Jack Grealish or the, him supplanting Madison in the England setup might actually really benefit Leicester because Madison now looks like he was 18 months ago 
like a player, but he's back on the up. You know, he's he's playing with something to prove, and he's that extra element that can create a goal or even score a goal. I mean, he was very unlucky at the weekend. He was offside. And if they can find an alternative source to Vardy, I think that makes all the difference. Good as Harvey Barnes is, he doesn't. He's, I don't think he's going to score a lot of goals for them. I think Madison maybe can, or at least he can be involved in 10 or 15 goals. Yeah, that was, that's kind of, I was wondering about a fear factor, if you like, about those teams at the top. And when you think about Leicester, if I was an opposition manager, They've got lots of good players, and this is not. Don't don't get upset, Gregor. I'm not slagging off Harvey Barnes, but their only real like fear, the top level. What do we have to stop? We have to stop Jamie Vardy running in behind, and then it, after that, you're relying on Harvey Barnes running in on goal and finally scoring one of those chances, or you're relying on James Madison being fit enough to drop the shoulder and curl one in the top corner. I mean, you know, Hugh, your boys are facing them at the weekend. Are you? worried, worried in the way that perhaps you would be about facing a, a Tottenham, a, Le- a, a City, a, a Liverpool type type match. I've got to be careful what I say here because of course the opposite of what I say will definitely happen now. So if I say Leicester are going to win 5-0, it probably sets up Manchester United nicely, isn't it? I'm, I'm, you're, look, you're right. You're, 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 taking the fact that it's Manchester United out of it, I think a top side isn't going to be hugely worried about playing Leicester, but equally it's a game you can easily lose because they're that good. Um, that, you know, we're not talking about the greatest team in football history, but we are talking about a team with r- incredibly good players, a fantastic manager, um, a system that works well for them, that they always look comfortable in. doesn't matter who starts the game. And it, it you know, a, a lot of their results depend on them, which it pretty much is the making of a very good team. You know, if, if they can decide whether they win or lose a game themselves, then you, you know, they're a top side and you know, Manchester United away from home at the King power, I probably would expect them. I wouldn't expect them to get anything to be perfectly honest, because I think Leicester are a better side. And I know people say, well, Man United are creeping up the table. If they win their games in hand, they'll be above Leicester, et cetera, et cetera. But if someone said the cup finals tomorrow, who are you going to put your money on? I'd put my money on Leicester because I think that I just think they're just a better side. Um, but I know what you're, I know what you're trying to say about that 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 massive fear factor. It, it comes from depth, and I think it's the same. You know, I'd be saying stop Vardy. You've got a good chance of stopping them. You know, scoring a few goals. I think when you look at their, you know, you can judge a lot by looking at is there more kind of growth or improvement from these players individually too. And you look at Leicester's team, and there's so many players you feel could make another jump even to. To a really elite club, I'd say Justin is one of them. Telemans, Barnes, Madison, there are a lot. Of, you know, Fofana. They seem to be the club that is like we'll sign them for the for the and get the value, and they'll develop them. And it's if that can kind of all come together before they, you know, they will lose players. They sold Chil- Chilwell in the summer. If that all comes together for one season, then yeah, I think they could be. You know, they're not going to chance for the title, but they'll be. They, I think they've definitely got a good, good chance for the top four this season. Well, I think one of those things is um, around selling players is where the level of the club is. And eventually Leicester are going to have so many good players and they're going to have such a good finish in the league. There's no step for their players to really make other than move somewhere for a bigger salary because they're, that, they're going to be that good a team. Everything at the club at the moment is being set up. To be honest, you know, to regularly finish in the top four, if they can keep this up and they can add more depth window after window, they're going to have a really good, much deeper squad and they're going to be a prospect for anyone. The, ma- the major concern for me is, will they spend the money so that if Jamie Vardy's not there, they've got a real genuine goal scorer aside from him? Because if they add that, then, you know, th- there's a huge, huge ceiling for that that club and that team under Brendan Rodgers. They need to be in the Champions League this this year. I mean, they've just opened the new training grounds, opening this this week, £150 million. Pounds. And, and you're right about the squad, you, but this is a golden chance for them. If they could take, with that new training ground, take this squad into the Champions League next year, allow those players to keep growing in that environment. You know, they I, I've thought for a while they've been on the brink of, of pushing themselves to... You know, the next level, but the next level in a way that they could sustain it then for, for 10 or 15 years. And that's always been the aim since winning in 2016. The ownership wanted to build something off the back of it. And after the death of Kunvishai, that was even more so the plan of, of Top, his son, to, to have something lasting. And, and 
they do need to make that next step in the Champions League to, to achieve that, but it's there for them this year. I think that Leicester versus Manchester United game is going to be 12.30 on Boxing Day, one of the sort of main games that we all watch with maybe a Bailey's hangover. Um, but I wonder what's going to happen. Will I be celebrating, Gregor, do you think? Uh, it's hard to call with this Manchester United team. We're, they're on one of their upward uh, ticks on the cycle, the old cycle we <laughs> keep talking about every other week. Um, it's really hard to know with them. And, uh, you know, the two teams, as we've said, that are probably played playing their best football when they're kind of on those transitions, reactive, and a team comes out against them. So how they both approach this is would be interesting to, interesting to see. But I think it's, you know, Leicester have gone, gone back to a four at the back since since Brighton. And I do feel that kind of the re-emergence of Madison and the fact that he's hitting his best form, you know, that, that bodes very well for Leicester City going forward. I just wonder with Leicester sometimes whether they're a, a first goal team in that if they don't get the first goal, then you really you can they can sometimes struggle, and that was why it was so key against Tottenham. They got that goal just before half time, and then it was set up perfectly for how they were playing in the second half. And you know, if United come out of the traps in the way that they did against Leeds, and again, if you think about Manchester United, if we're talking about that thing again of players you'd be worried about: Fernandez, Rashford. Rashford was excellent been in good form recently they've just got that edge on Leicester and I do perhaps Johnny's right it's going to all come down to James Madison I think because if suddenly he hits some form and teams are suddenly starting to think oh god he's going to he's going to drop the sheet and two players start converging on him to close him down that might create a bit more space for Vardy and the like it could be tight but um, I mean I, I would I never thought I'd say this but I'd, you'd got to look at Manchester United as being favourites for Saturday haven't you in the in after after re- after recent performances, I think if Rashford and Fernandez play, you've cursed in us. any way, surely. Why didn't everyone just say Leicester are going to win? <laughs> I'll, I'll be at the game, um, and it's it's a hard one. It's a really hard one for exactly the reasons you say, Tom. Because I think first goal team is a good way to describe Leicester. But I just wonder if um, Man United. You know, I always think, yeah. yeah, 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 and and. I just wonder if um, Boxing Day has anything to do with it as well. Um, Leicester, I don't know why this is the case, but I think they've got a fairly poor record on Boxing Day games. Even this season, they won it. They they, they didn't win after Christmas. I don't know if there's any pattern to that at all, Greg. I don't know if is, is there anything about playing on Boxing Day that's different. I, d- I don't know, or, or is it just they've had a couple of bad games in recent seasons? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, probably in the past when everyone overindulged, but I don't think that's the case anymore. I think, yeah, probably not much to read into in that, personally. But uh, at 12.30 on Boxing Day, the early kickoff, early wake-up on Boxing Day, does that affect players? What, early kickoff? The early kickoff on Boxing Day, knowing that you, you can't really celebrate Christmas because you're up early the next day. I, f- I just found dull of Christmas depressing to be really honest <laughs> it's kind of finished it's kind of tailed over in, into my post-playing days as well which my fiance is quite angry about the fact I'm still the Christmas Grinch <laughs> it's just like everyone else although this year is different clearly you know it's just a, t- a time where everyone else is indulging and and uh, you know celebrating and you really don't you've, you've got to got to rein it in as best you can so um no, I don't think so. I think generally Chris, football at Christmas is one of the worst things of being a footballer. It's strange. It is at the time, but when you finish, you look back and you think, actually, that intense period was something that was that you, you look back on and probably miss. You shouldn't have been a sports journalist, mate. You would have been able to enjoy <laughs> Christmas. You wouldn't have had an editor sending you to game anyway. on Boxing Day. <laughs> you, just, you absolutely mugged yourself off there. And as, as we're in, as we're in the mood to hang ourselves out to dry, why don't we? Is anyone? I remember this time last season, not this time. It's a bit further on, talking about uh, Leicester and the Champions League places. And I think all of us unanimously, apart from Alison Rudds, of course, they've easily got the Champions League place. It's much harder to predict now. Does anyone think they'll get a top four place? I, I, I don't quite think they've got enough. And I think teams like Tottenham and Chelsea will come and Manchester City will come and just pit them. I don't quite think they've got enough yet, unless they make a big signing in January. But I just thought, you know, we might as well hang out. You know, give, some, give the listeners something festive to enjoy. <laughs> and in a few months, producer John can get the clips out when they're, uh, when they're second <laughs> by a long way. I tend to agree with that, Tom. I mean... 
I'm looking at Man City, the way they're just grinding their way back into form. I think they're a, they're a top four now. So you've already got two of the four. And, and it's 12 games in 56 days now or something ridiculous like that in the Premier League. It's just going to be so intense that squad power is going to tell in this next period. And I, I suspect it'll be City, Liverpool, um, and then you're picking Chelsea, Man United or Spurs. I, I, look, I just don't think you guys are properly factoring in the ability of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as Manchester United on their roller coaster. Now they're they on the up with Gregor. They don't have to be in it either. No, that's very true. But I think they're one of those that I think they'll they'll do the opposite of what Leicester did last year. Sorry, they'll do exactly the same as what Leicester did last year. They'll be there or thereabouts. They'll tail off because this roller coaster has ups and it has massive downs as well. And you know, we're just timing it. I'm just looking ahead, and in a few months' time after Ollie's at the wheel again, we'll be back saying he needs to go, and that will be roughly timed with the end of the season and more than enough space for Leicester to make their way back in there. I don't know. I don't know. To be perfectly honest, I'll say um, the top six will be the traditional top six minus Arsenal plus Leicester. You've absolutely bottled it there. You've absolutely <laughs> yeah. bottled it there. I may echo that one, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I did, to be honest. There's nothing else That's I can say about it. Absolutely outrageous. When you watch Chelsea the other night against West Ham and they were decidedly underwhelming and they still won 3 0, and the depth of their squad. Um, Josie Mourinho, you know, they're, they're Tottenham just kind of rolling on ominously, kind of picking up results. One of them is going to be out of it, probably, as well. So I think for Leicester to surmount both of those teams would be asking too much. One team currently in the top four as well who'll be eyeing a spot is Everton. They could be out of it at the end, but they've got three wins on the bounce at the moment. They beat Arsenal two goals to one, missing some key players as well at the weekend. Their last three wins came against Chelsea, Leicester and Arsenal. They're another side that you want to ask the question about whether their squad can handle a tilt on the top four as well. They seem to handle Arsenal okay, but they're not a great side at the moment. Can the squad, the likes of Sigurdsson filling in, Iwobi's of this world, Godfrey's, you know, they didn't even play a fullback at the weekend. They had four centre-backs. Can that squad at Everton under Carlo Ancelotti keep up their challenge for a top four place, Tom? Well, I mean, when it comes to Everton, I'm in line for end of season awards for the worst take on the game podcast, aren't I? Because I think at the start of the season, I said that I didn't get it and I think they'd, I thought they'd be lucky to finish in the top half. So fair play. It's almost like Carlo Ancelotti knows a little bit more about football than I do. But um, <laughs> in, in, a, so in, a, in a similar regard to Leicester, it's been impressive, as you say, the fact that they, you know they've had some injuries had to change system at times and are still getting results. I, not wanting to be the Christmas Grinch in the same way that I was with Leicester, but in a few of the games I've watched it, against either Fulham, Arsenal, you know, two teams in a relegation fight. Sorry, that's a little cheeky joke for Arsenal fans. Um, they've won by one goal. They've been the better team for up to about the kind of 60, 70 minute period. And then something in them has kind of gone, it's almost like they're going, oh God, we're not meant to be, you know, and it's then backs to the wall, holding on. And even a team that have looked so um, confused as Arsenal have nearly, nearly got an equaliser. So it, it's just, I wonder whether in this period that's coming up, whether they will start to drop a few points, but it, it's been very impressive. And, I, you know, on the likes of Alex Iwobi, I, I once made a comment in the pub with my friends that I thought uh, his signing for Everton for around 35 million quid or whatever it was, was a, was a good value buy. And it's a comment that they've never let me forget. So I'm delighted, delighted to see him hitting a bit of form and uh, showing what he can do. Because I've always believed in you, Alex. I've always believed in you. Always thought you were an absolute bargain. But I, ju I just, this just, again, something in the same way that Leicester, I wonder whether they don't scare enough teams. In the same way, I just wonder whether when you're playing Everton, even if you went 2-0 down, you'd always think, I can get back into this game. You, there's just something that's maybe, I think, that this period will see what they're really about. There's just this, I think they're just a little bit far away from being that top four, top six side. I think you're probably right. I think, but we've got to remember that this is a one year anniversary of, of Ancelotti's since his arrival. And, the, you know, the improvement has been marked. I think they've got 50% win rate. Um, and he seems to be, you know, Ancelotti, I think, is someone who will almost imbue that, that, that sense of, you know, 
we deserve to be a team challenging for the top four. I think in time that will be something that Everton, you know, we'll, we'll see that that's what they'll represent. And you know, the fact that players like Rodriguez and Allen have come to Everton, you know, that wouldn't be the case if Ancelotti wasn't the manager. So I think Everton's horizons have just kind of been transformed by his his arrival just because of his presence and his stature and he's he's been there and done it before. So I think that's all true, Tom. I think when you look at their team ultimately and they, they're not they're probably not going to be a team we're challenging for the top four this season, but I think with Ancelotti at the helm, there's a very good chance that they will be because he's also got the backing of a very wealthy owner. And, you know, we're, we're going to talk about, a bit about Leeds and, you know, the romance and whatnot. Ancelotti's the chief pragmatist. We're talking about them playing, you know, back four there or four centre-halves. They, they'd won, I think they won one and seven before that. So he looked at it and thought, we need to shore up the defence here. We'll put four. <laughs> it's, not, it's not rocket science, but it's worked. I think they scored, they've conceded one goal in the last three games. And you know, wins wins against Chelsea, Leicester, and Arsenal. Um, so I think when you know when you look back at the first year of, of Ancelotti, the, the improvement is absolutely clear. And I have no reason to think that with the support that he'll he'll get, that that won't continue. There's a lot of um, balance about his team, uh, which is his pragmatism. I think at play you know there's there's a lot of um, elements in that the, you see combinations that are good I mean Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin just play off each other so well that we, you know, we were all excited about James coming in but actually I think those two are the fulcrum of of, of Everton's attack and Calvert-Lewin gives them that presence to play off that I think only Harry Kane maybe provides elsewhere in the, in the Premier League maybe, maybe Giroud when he's Playing for for Chelsea, um, and the, the four the, the four centre backs are you know in in an era where centre backs are at a premium, they've probably got as, de- as good a collection. I don't think any of them are incredible, but I think as a collection, those four are as good as anything around. Um, it's midfield that that worries me a little bit that um, they got away with Tom Davis at the weekend because Arsenal was so passive, put so little pressure on the ball that that you know. Davis and even the centre backs were able to stride forward with it without being challenged. But I, don't, I think they need Alan fit and 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 playing to have a chance for the rest of the season um, because better, a better team would unpick them in that area. But a bit a bit like Leicester, and this is why it's so hard to analyse. It's a it's a it's a season where nobody's really finding consistency. Maybe Liverpool are starting to find it, and you can make a case for a number of clubs getting in the top four and Everton is certainly one of them. Um, they, they, if, if, if with a fair wind, with everyone fit, fair wind, yeah, it's possible. I wouldn't bet on it, but, but, but they're, they're in the frame and the fact they're in the frame just shows how well Ancelotti's done. Sheffield United next for Carlo Ancelotti and Everton, the chief pragmatist will move on to the artist of a manager, Marcelo Bielsa. Next, we'll talk about Leeds United. Uh, but remember, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, please go online. You can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whichever uh, provider you use, but make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode. You can get yourself a digital subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times. Get it on all of your devices. Sign up today. You'll get yourself one month free. Just go online, search the times.co.uk forward slash the game to get yourself started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Well, next up, we should probably talk about the game of the weekend, the one that everyone's been talking about. Manchester United 6, Leeds United 2. But the thing that's really got to me after this result isn't just the match, which was fantastic, but it's the reaction to Leeds' defeat. They lost 6-2. They've got the worst defence in the league. Yet it seems many people have barely got a bad word to say about them or the way that they play this one has been really intriguing for me because it's made me think about football and romance. As part of our reasons to be cheerful, Tom, I wanted to ask you, is it okay to love something in sport unconditionally? I feel like you're asking me off the back of my fairly grumpy performance no, 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 last no. week. Because no. I think, look, can we not just all get along? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Christmas. Let's not, let's not fall out. That, that's, 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 it's just, the, react, the reaction to the, the match itself and then the subsequent reaction, which is what, of course, you're talking about and how people like Gary Neville saying, I can't fault Leeds' performance and when they've lost 6-2. It's, it's almost as the, the, you know, the extreme way in which we discuss politics these days. It's so, so extreme, two polar opposites. It, 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 we need to get back to a world in which... Leeds play good football. They didn't play that well against Manchester United. Manchester United exposed their weaknesses. But also, let's be honest, Leeds like Leeds gave the ball away quite a lot. They try and pass the ball. They try and move it quickly. And their passes were poor. So that's just, a, that's just an isolation. Oh, I played badly today. I didn't play that well. That's why we get... It's not, it's not this big you know, dilemma about, oh, and, you know, and I don't have to then adopt the anti-football defence and therefore I hate Leeds. I love Leeds. Leeds are great. I also just love, I like Jose Mourinho parking the bus. I can like both. Let's all just get along. Come on. Come on. There's no room for nuance in this world. (laughs) I I just, I just, do you know what? One One of the things that I found weird about the reaction was everyone, of course, has nailed their colours to the mast over Leeds United. They're a fantastic team. Marcelo Bielsa is the, the best thing that English football has, has received in recent times. Man United got praised as well. And everyone was saying Ollie's at the wheel and they could have conceded six themselves. There was a, a sort of, you know, it wasn't balanced in any way, really, because there were, you could have criticised both teams. Instead, both were praised. Um, and maybe that's just me and my personality saying, hold on a minute, I want more criticism as part of my diet of, of football punditry. And you're not you're not wrong to say that in a way, and I agree with you that you know that at the end of the game when they'd lost six two, there was a period where Lindelof and Maguire are knocking it left and right, and Leeds were pressing, and the commentators were like, "Look at them, this is amazing! Look at them, this is fantastic!" And I was watching it, thinking, "Come on, Southampton do this all the time, like you know this it's just basic modern football, isn't it?" And also, surely it's from not a football, basic modern football, that's a silly thing to say. No, but you press. Press it. You don't think pressing is a, like a, a basic of modern football, particularly if you've been beaten six two. You want to show a bit of pride when you've when you've been completely smashed against your big rivals. Well, you I don't think, think that's true. I think there's been some good analysis about that. How many teams, when they've conceded six goals, just go, "Oh, we don't want to concede a seventh, guys." But they don't. They play exactly the same in minute one and minute ninety, and that's remarkable. I just don't think. I think it's remarkable seeing what these players are doing and actually seeing that. They're players who I spoke to Gary Johnson the other day, and he signed Luke Ayling at Yeovil. I spoke to John Pembert another day actually as well, and he was saying I signed Luke Ayling for Bristol City in League One. Like, and you can go through the team: Col- uh, Cooper, Chesterfield. They signed him from. It's remarkable what he is drawn from these players, and the fact that they are so committed to his, his system. So I don't. I know we're not like. It's like that. Some people I think don't want to accept or do they, I don't know, they're slightly wary of this guy who's come over and his dogmas are so ingrained and it's like, this is not what we do in England. There's like, I honestly, I don't want to upset anyone here, but I almost feel there's a small strain of English exceptionalism coming through here, which is like the Premier League is the best league in the world and we saw it with Pep. It was like, what's he doing? He's dropped Joe Hart, the England goalkeeper, and he wants to play a sweeper keeper. He's not training tackles. It's never going to work. He needs to adapt. 
he's come over here. He needs to adapt to the Premier League if he wants to win it. And it's like, if you want to survive or you want to really cut it or do, you know, fulfill what Leeds could be, you're going to have to adapt, Marcelo, which completely ignores the fact that he's never adapted in 40 years. It's a pointless discussion and it's a pointless argument. It's lit- There's literally no point in it. I wouldn't say they played remarkably, though, because it could have been Yeovil or Bristol City, to be perfectly honest, at the weekend. You can't... <laughs> Well, that's the point. Yeah, but that's but that's my point around around uh, around just talking about teams realistically. It's not to say, and this is I got a lot of stick for this on social media for saying you, you don't have to say Leeds are brilliant at everything to say they're brilliant. They're a fantastic team. They're great to watch. I don't think they should change their style because it's clearly going to keep them in the Premier League, and that's what they they came up to do. But it doesn't mean they're beyond criticism because you love the way that they play. And that's how I feel certain people are, are taking it. I always think you've got to ask a Leeds fan, how did they feel on, on, on Sunday? They might, they might have enjoyed it. They might have enjoyed it, but I suspect many of them would have been pretty horrified at getting thumped by, by Man United. There's a re, we talk about nuance, and this is a difficulty about modern football debate. I mean, it, can, it is true that Marcello Belsa is... A, a remarkable figure in football history who deserves every bit of praise and admiration and can give us incredible enjoyment watching his teams for what he's done for the game and his ideas. And it can also be true that he hasn't won anything in the last 25 years as a coach. And he's admitted this himself because he is a romantic and and will not um, change his approach one bit. So whether it's good or bad, as as Gregor said, it's almost irrelevant. This is what this guy guy does. Yeah. Enjoy it, but you can't. But you can question it in in the context of itself. No, let me finish. Let me finish. Don't, don't, it's all right. I'm not slagging off Billy Gilmore <laughs> or Harvey Barnes. Don't worry. It's fine. <laughs> I, would, I would just say, I would just say to Johnny's point. Like my one of my friends is a Leeds fan, and we were chatting about it. All the you know neutrals in the WhatsApp group chatting away about. Oh, this is a great game. Blah blah. At full time, he chimed in and said that was tough to watch. And he's a Leeds fan. And he loves all the boys he's brought through. He has Glick as his WhatsApp picture, not a picture of himself. He loves the team, but he said that was tough to watch. And all I'm trying to get to in a world where everyone gets along is that you praise Bielsa for Luke Ayling coming up through the Football League, but you also praise any other Premier League team. James Justin, you were praising him before. He came from Luton. That's fantastic. Let's not over, you know, and that's why I was making the point about the pressing. It's great that they were pressing when 6-2 down, but I think a lot of other teams do that as well. So let's, within the context of way Bielsa plays, I'm agreeing with you, accept it. Don't don't tell him to change the way he plays, but let's also be allowed, as Hugh says, to say within the context of that style, they weren't that good at that style against Man United. They gave the ball away a lot, they looked up in the transitions going back the other way into defence. Man United got at them quicker. They didn't get in defensive shape quick enough and they were exposed. Can we not get to a world where you can do that? I'm not saying Marcelo Bielsa should change. I agree with you. And I agree it's great to watch. And I think he'll keep the leads in the Premier League. And I think it's fantastic. But I think you should also be able to say when they get smashed by Crystal Palace and Man United, let's have a look at what they did not as well there that they did better against Newcastle. Come on, let's all be friends. It's fine. No, mama. That's fair enough. No, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. I just think that there's something that is unique about this, which is that normally when you offer a critique of something, you expect that it possibly could change. Or, I don't know, like I, I said this the other night, with, if, if you're critiquing Josie Mourinho for you know, parking the bus and not utilising the full strengths of what he has available when he's got Harry Kane and so on. And like, you know, it's easier to do that when you're playing football that is completely, I don't know, it's it's, it's blocking football. It. It's stopping. It. It's not the word, I'm not going to say the word <coughs> anti-football. <laughs> but when, when, when you're kind of so... <laughs> so wedded and so dogmatically kind of aligned to one way of playing football it's, it's it just feels to me pointless to to point out the to illuminate the flaws you can illuminate them but it, what's the point he's not going to change and it's almost like those flaws are an acknowledged risk of the of the the way that they want to play so you know for by all means point out the flaws in the system and obviously yeah they gave the ball away but again, they explain with this is a team that are largely championship footballers. They gave the ball away a lot, and they left themselves wide open by piling 
on players into one side of the pitch or forward. Yeah, that was daft, but it's because they gave the ball away. But there is another thing, and I'm not trying to wind you up about this, I promise, because I've, I, I was on the receiving end of being wound up on the last pod, <laughs> Hugh. Uh, but, you know, look at Fulham last season, for example. They came up under Jukanovic and tried to play a certain way. And everyone hammered them, absolutely hammered them for trying to play a certain way. Had John Michael Seri in midfield trying to take the ball off defenders, drop the shoulder, knock the ball left and right. That was trying to play a certain way and it failed. Now, Bielsa's not failing because he's hammering Newcastle and he's picking up points and they'll finish in mid-table and that's great. But I think it's just the over-insistence on this is the way you play and it's fantastic, all the time fantastic, Whereas a team that plays really dogmatically and solidly, and that's the way they play, that can never be in the same vein. That is never seen in the same vein. And that's where I would maybe just like a little bit of, that's why I'm trying to get, let's, let's get away from these such strong polarised opinions. Tom, you get the feeling if Leeds United lose the next 10 games, 4-3, and they're all, they're all entertaining, people will say he's a brilliant manager still, despite the fact he's lost 10 on the bounce. I agree slightly. That's, what, that's where I would like to come away from slightly, where people are allowed to say, mm, that's not necessarily great, while still being saying, as a, as a neutral, that was fantastic. Yeah, as a neutral, you watch Leeds 5, Newcastle 2, and you watch... Manchester United 6, Leeds 2, and you're like, this is brilliant. This is why I pay a lot of money to watch football on TV. This is fantastic. No, well, it's not entertainment. It's, it's a results business, Tom. Well, that's <laughs> why I, I agree. I agree. I agree. That's, my point. that's my point. That's my point. We are back to that again. That's why that ultimately is at the root of the love. And that, you know, some people, some people that, that can't quite see that, they see football differently. And that's why, that's what Tom's saying. There's, they're polarised view there's kind of football should be about winning first and you know grinding out results if need be if you're shipping loads of goals you put another man at the back or you put another man in the hold of midfield that's one way of looking at it Bielsa looks at a completely different way and so there you know yes there is romance in football and we're seeing it and I think you see a lot you know some of the reaction too you get you get people who've been watching their team survive just surviving you know, Newcastle have got, I think I've got a point, point more than them. They're the team that everyone points out because they're, you know, the fans are all so down in the dumps and they've got Steve Bruce at the helm and the football is pretty turgid to watch. Even if they went down, do you think, I think they would probably take Bielsa tomorrow. That says something. The other thing of, oh, he's not going to change. Almost, that almost, if we carry on down that road, we're also going to end up patronising him almost in a way and doing his abilities as a coach down. Because if we just say he's not going to change, we're, it's almost like we're acting like he went into Newcastle and Man United, walked into the dressing room, went, all right, lads, go for it. However you say that in you know his native, however you say that in his native tongue. He won't be. He'll have gone back and he, from everything we've read about him, he'll have analysed that game to the nth degree. And then, yes, the overall style will be the same, but maybe he'll move someone around in a position. Maybe he'll do something weird, like he'll start playing Harrison as a false nine and it will be like, wow. That, that, that's my point I'm trying to get to. To just say, oh, it's Bielsa, it's brilliant, let's, let's love it. He won't be doing that. He will be going, well, that went, that, that didn't work. God, that didn't work. I'm going to have to tweak it or I'm going to have to tweak the players. It'll still be the overall system, but he'll be trying to improve it, won't he? Every coach works within a framework of results, but his framework is staying in the league and he'll do that. So actually, he is, by just taking away romance and just saying, is he achieving results? He'll achieve the results this year. The problem would be if he was in the position of trying to win something at that top level, like like Aussie Ideal is at Spurs all those years ago, trying to play fairly similar way, actually. And Spurs were expected to win a cup or, 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 or challenge the league and, and got nowhere. At that at this moment in time, Bielsa's not been asked to do that. Um, and in this moment in time, he's got leads up and he'll keep them in the league and he's entertaining while he's doing it. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's right, though, losing 6-2 to Manchester United, that, that you should still say he's amazing. But I don't think Gregor's saying that performance was amazing either. Just that it was a Marcello-Bielsa performance and it's like criticizing the color green for being green or something i don't know 
I, I love that defence, you know. Why criticise it if it's not going to change? Gregor, you know there was a 100k a year job going at Downing Street recently, mate. That's the, that's the perfect defence. I can't believe you're still here with us and you're not you're not working there. Allegra Stratton's beat you to it. Um, look, one person who's probably in need of a bit of PR at the moment is the Wolves manager, Nuno Espirito Santo. Let's discuss him next because he's had some choice words for referee Lee Mason after Wolves' defeat to Burnley. It, look, I've got to read the quote because maybe it was a bit much from Nuno Espirito Santo. He said to, to various media, but this is the gist of it. Um, it's, it's not about the crucial mistake or decisions. It's about how he handles the game. The players get nervous. He whistles from the noises that the players make. We're talking about the best competition and he does not have the quality to whistle the game. I told him, I hope he does not whistle a game of ours again. He cannot control the players. The players are constantly arguing. The other referees let the game flow. And that pretty much sums up what he was saying to other media as well in that he doesn't think Lee Mason's good enough to be a Premier League manager and he doesn't want him refereeing Wolves games ever again. Gregor, I'm going to come to you on this. Before we get to whether Nuno Espirito Santo should or shouldn't have said those things, how much of a difference can a referee's performance make to the players out there? It can. I mean, the first, I think, I've tried to think about this before, and I think the one thing, if you're looking for one thing in a referee, you, just, you want authority. And I, by that, I mean the kind of courage of his convictions. And if there's any doubt about that, and it feels like players can, can are either not, you know, referees can make mistakes like anyone, but if they feel that they're not really, they don't have the courage of their convictions, that can definitely alter a, a game and the way that players approach it, not just in the way they approach, you know, interacting with the referee, but in the way that the game kind of pans out, I think. So, it's a hard one. I feel I thought that this was kind of out of order, to be honest, though, because it's not just saying he had a bad game. It's saying that he's fundamentally not good enough. He's calling him out, saying he shouldn't be refereeing at this level, and I think that's a step too far, whether it's true or not. Um, but from a player's point of view, I just always, when I think about it, playing, I always, as long as the referee had the courage of his convictions, even if he was getting things wrong, you knew that he was doing it with the kind of best intentions, and it wasn't. You know, again, there's not much point in in arguing about it. I know a lot of play. I wasn't someone personally who who was always running over to the referee and trying to trying to change his mind or anything like that because I thought it was pointless ultimately. Nuno Espirito Santo though talks about his players losing their focus and constantly shouting at the referee. Um, That's their fault. Which may, which, yeah, I was about to say, which is maybe his responsibility. Well, yeah, I think probably he's deflecting away from the fact that they just lost to Burnley and they're not in a great run of form. I think. They lost focus. They, you, you shouldn't lose focus because of the referee. Referees, you get bad refereeing performance all the time, and if you if you, if that affects the, the 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 players, then probably the players need to have a look at themselves. I would say complete distraction tactics. They were absolutely rubbish against Burnley. Burnley were fantastic. I watched this game and he enjoyed it just as much as I enjoyed Manchester United. <laughs> just because that's quite you know, sure. Just I bloody love anti-football, don't I? No, Burnley were, <laughs> Burnley were excellent. Burnley were fantastic. They've got my new favourite Premier League player in Josh Brownhill. Uh, came up from Preston, Barnsley and Bristol City. <clears throat> Not just Luke Hayling. Uh, and, you know, they, they were brilliant. But, Lee, but Wolves were... Yeah, Wolves weren't very good. And I think it's a classic case of manager distraction tactics after a very poor performance, I think. Yes, it was only 2-1, but the penalty was... a. a, a you know, of the surge Aurier variety given away by Benson, the Burnley player who just come on to give them a sniff back in the game. But Burnley shut them out very easily. And I'm sure it was just frustration at what was a very poor performance and losing a game that perhaps they were expecting to pick up some points from. Uh, I, I, I don't think managers, I, there are lots of things that could happen with refereeing decisions and comments after the game. This wasn't one of them. This wasn't a game where we should be talking about a referee. We've done it a lot. We do it a lot on the podcast. This isn't one of them. You know, you watch games or I've played in games where you can be so exasperated with some of the decisions that are being made that it does affect you and you're thinking, what on earth is he seeing here kind of thing? But I will guarantee you that those those instances, you were probably losing the game. So, you know, you're, there's an underlying reason for it. If Wolves won 3-0 last night, he's not going to have come out and said this. Wolves are in a tricky spell. And at that moment in time, you look for anything that, it feels to be against you and the luck's against you. And that's, I think that's what we heard from Nuno last night. Fergie did it 
quite a bit. It reminds me, he had a go at Paul Durkin years ago for being overweight in fairly similar circumstances. And I think Uriah Rennie once as well as a game at Newcastle. And again, so, I mean, managers shouldn't get personal and he did get personal. I have to say the particular referee called out, maybe, maybe he's got a point, but um, so that's me getting personal, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, it's, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't want to hear him, say this too often would you or a manager say this too often because it does undermine it does undermine referees there is something that did run through my brain you know you know sometimes players try and get themselves sent off so they can have a nice Christmas with the family. And I just wondered whether this was the first case of a manager saying, do you know what, let me let me get myself banned for Boxing Day and I can have a nice one chilling at home. I just thought maybe that was the case with Nuno Spirito Santo. Very clever uh, on his part. And just on Burnley, Tom, I know you already mentioned they played well. Let me go to Johnny on this because since that 5-0 defeat by Manchester City, Johnny, it's four games unbeaten for Burnley who are now out of the bottom three as well and and a lot of people were fearing for their future and, and whether Sean Dyche would even make it to the end of the season as their boss yeah and the form had actually picked up before that City game and you know the City as we've covered is, is just the game they always lose 5-0 but they were doing alright before that I think they've got a good combination to survive apart from Sean Dyche and it's always a focus on, on Sean Dyche but I know quite a lot of those players. I've interviewed quite a lot of them. And it's a really mature dressing room, a sort of self-policing dressing room who will uh, or have looked at a situation like they found themselves in after a few games and, you know, pull each other up, do the necessary things. Ben Mee's return has been huge for them in terms of his leadership. But there hasn't been any panic at all at Burnley this season, despite the... um, despite the start. And to me, they're, they're like, um, they're a team that knows exactly where it can pick up points. Um, it, they're like a batsman that knows where the scoring areas are. Might not be showy, but knows exactly which games it can win. That game was always one that you, you, you could see them grinding. Um, and they, they, they're kind of like, I don't know how they're going to get dislodged from the Premier League. They're like a sort of, they're like Charlton under Kerbishley. They just know how to do this. They'll they'll have 37 to 45 points somewhere in that zone. I I, I, I love them. I I love their difference. We've been talking about difference. Leeds are different. I love Burnley's point of difference as well. And I love that dressing room. Yes, Johnny. Yes. Love it. Absolutely (laughs) love it. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I can't love that we're getting along so well on this podcast. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> United, United by Burnley. I would, yeah, I would just echo that. I mean, they're fantastic to watch. And the, the, I know it sounds cheesy, but the passion at the end when the full-time whistle went, they're all punching the air. They knew, as you said, they'd probably highlight games like this and go three points, three points, one point, three points. They knew how big it was. And I've actually got a new tactic for Gareth Southgate for the Euros. He needs to pick Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky in his squad, get 1-0 up, for the last 20 minutes, throw them both on. Because I'm telling you, that they are up there for me in terms of Premier League centre-back pairings. They're so good, so well-organised, fantastic, so good to watch. If we're going to play like Jose Mourinho's Tottenham, then you're probably right. Go on, Johnny. <laughs> Here's a question for Gregor, really. Ben, me and Tarkovsky, how can they be so much better at blocking than anyone else? It seems like a very simple thing, blocking. How would they do it? How'd they throw the body in the line better than I anyone. Know, I, was, I was never good at it. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. No, honestly, there are players I played with, I remember thinking they, they seemed like magnets to the ball. I, like, you, whether you're good at other things or not, there's just someone who naturally seemed to know where the ball was going to fall or where someone was about to strike it or be able to get their body, you know, throw themselves. At. A lot of players throw themselves onto the floor and stuff, but sometimes it's just about making your making yourself as big as possible and stay on your feet at the same time. And like, I don't know. I think it's a natural instinct. I really do. I, I've, I found that interesting through my career playing with different people who that seemed to be one of their biggest skills as a centre half. And it was, I, you think, we used to call them, oh, there is the magnet. Can I ask you another thing about defending and defending corners? Because I've watched Burnley now win by one goal against Arsenal and against Wolves. And in both those games, they it looked like they were almost conceding corners at the end, not deliberately, but like, like, you know, Tarkovsky would block it or head it behind and he would like turn around to each other and go, come on, let's have it. Yeah, go on, one more. 94th minute corner. Yeah, we'll have that. Like how, because there is far more to heading a ball and defending a corner, isn't there, than just, oh, jump for the ball. You've got to time it. 
and their ability at that as well. You know, you just you just want those two on the pitch when there's a cross coming in, there's a corner coming in. Like that's a difficult skill as well, isn't it? Or is that the same magnet thing that you just you're that type of player? You're just running it. Or- I think so. Yeah, and having the kind of belief and confidence that almost wherever the ball lands in the penalty box, you're going to be the one who's going to. If it's within your possible radius, you're the one who's going to go and get to it, stick your head on it. And there are just our players who are who that is their kind of natural skill sets, and they're and they're they're the best at. And undoubtedly, they are two of them. I mean, the, as well, the the free kick that they scored the goal from, where kind of yeah. they, they tag teamed. I can't remember who the other who the player was, but it was like Tarkovsky kind of out of the way, and then boom, back across the box, another knockdown, and Wood didn't even <laughs> Wood just belted it. I thought he was going to yeah. break the net, and it was like that it's is a Burnley goal. If you've ever seen a Burnley goal, <laughs> he did. He, he thought it's Rui Patricio's arms or a goal, and I'm taking the goal. I don't care if he it breaks both great, of his wrists here. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Lay on the floor going, Jesus, I'm not stopping that. My God, I'm not getting in the way of that. But whereas at the other end, Nick Pope probably would have jumped on it like it was a landmine, like straight on it. It was like a tennis shot from the net where they built it right at them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm, if we're talking about English exceptionalism, that is a team that clearly the Brits can get behind Burnley. Um, look, I think also uh, for me, Ashley Barnes coming back has been massive for Burnley as well, because I think if, if I was his agent, he's got to be on a hundred grand a week for his importance to a Premier League side in terms of them staying up. Because I always felt as soon as Barnes is back, Burnley will be fine. Uh, you know, the work rate, the ability to nick a goal here or there is just brilliant uh, for me at it. And I think he, he'll keep going as well because he's just got that sort of attitude. So we're very happy with Burnley. Plenty of things for us to be happy about this year, despite everything that's going on. So we thought we'd end on our reasons to be cheerful or a bit of Thanksgiving, really. Things to be grateful for in 2020. Of course, Christmas is coming up, so why not be nice about it? Like Tom says, why can't we all get along? Um Johnny, I want to. I'll start. I'll start with you. What are your your things to be grateful for? Reasons to be cheerful? I'm just. It's just football, isn't it? It's it's the in a world where we're, we're we've because of 2020, our lives have contracted. Um, the amount of things that are possible for us to do have just diminished, and we've still got something that's that's got the unexpected. Has got the the, the bit of it's the unscripted drama of, of football and that sort of presence in our lives and. I was thinking about this watching. Um, I was watching Bayern Munich at the weekend. I sort of saw the last end of that game against Bayer Leverkusen, and you could say that Bayern Munich beating a rival to go top of the Bundesliga with Robert Lewandowski scoring is not on. You know, it's not unpredictable. But even within that, it was just it was like the way it happened. I don't know if you saw the game, but Leverkusen had been really good. Jonathan Tarr was fantastic. He's this. You know, if you speak to the recruitment statisticians Jonathan Tarr is one of these players that should be going much higher he's incredible figures and then in the final moments of stoppage time he just had this horrendous bit of miscontrol um, outside his own box boom boom Bayern score win the game and the result wasn't unexpected but who could have you just couldn't have predicted that Tarr was going to do that and that's how it was going to unfold um, and the Joy at Bayern win every game, you know, win every year, but the, their joy at winning that match, it's just, that's what football is. It's just that, you know, that, that even in, even a predictable game can be unpredictable, I guess. And, and, and thank goodness it's in our lives. Tom, reasons to be cheerful? No, it's been a while. It's been at least a few episodes. Surely you'll let me have this. The league oh, one, ta- the league one table. Come on. <laughs> Come on. The league one table. The mighty imps, current 35 points, only seven more than we had, seven less, sorry, than we had the entirety of last season, sitting second in the table. That's my personal reason to be cheerful. But overall, I've got two numbers for you. First one is 10. The second one is 22. That is 10 is this season, the points that separate first to 10th in the Premier League table. Last season, 22 points from first to 10th. And I think, as Johnny says, basically echoing Johnny's point, that in this in this strange year and these strange times, the fact that you can look at a Premier League table and a set of fixtures over the festive period, fingers crossed nothing changes too dramatically that they can't carry on. You've got Aston Villa in ninth with two games in hand, win them both, they'll be second. City in eighth, win that game in hand, they go level with Man United. Teams like Southampton, Carlo Ancelotti proving me wrong at Everton. There's so much more to enjoy about the Premier League this season. So much more to argue about. And I think that that as well as Michael Appleton's superstar 
footballers in League One. That is my reason to be cheerful. <laughs> Gregor, giving thanks. Mine's pretty kind of broad vision as well. I, I, <laughs> Gary Neville said the other night that you know it would be a nonsense if football stopped now, which I thought was a bit of a kind of a choose thing to say, to be honest, because we should be like really gloriously thankful that it's still functioning. That when if we were avid followers of any other entertainment industry like film, music, theatre, how much bleaker this year would have been. So, and you think about to the first lockdown, and when you know football closed down, then when the uplift it gave certainly me when it came back. So you know, although this probably doesn't sound that cheerful, but just the fact that football's still here when we're stuck in our houses and it's kind of you know also we can't be taking that for granted. Look at if you look down the football league just now. I think Ipswich, Millwall, Sunderland, they've all got, you know, fixtures wiped off over the Christmas period. Um, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. So don't take it for granted that I think we're fortunate that the thing we really love is has kind of been able to survive in this. And clubs have. That's the other thing. That all of, We had so many discussions about the threat to particularly lower league clubs and Touchwood at the moment, although they've, there's plenty of hand-wringing about it, you know, they're still here. Yeah, very, very cheery, fortunate and hopeful. <laughs> it's very, very cheery, very, very cheery. No, because look, you make a very good point. Let's hope football stays for as long as possible and it has been great in 2020 for many reasons. As a Man United fan, obviously Liverpool's title win was was the peak for me. Um, but it was good to see them win after 30 years. Maybe we'll have a new name on the Premier League trophy this year as well. But my reason to be uh, cheerful and thankful, of course, is doing this podcast and meeting all of you. But of course, one special person to thank. He doesn't know we're going to do this, but, but John Jackson is our producer. And, you know, he puts this together every single episode. He's, he's actually very funny and will probably take my job on this eventually um, because he's always got better stories than me as well. Uh, John, John, are you out there? This is a this is a test to see if he listens to the podcast while it's recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I am here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hello, hello, John. Hello, John. Thanks for joining us. Listen, I just wanted you to tell everyone about the glamour of the game podcast. Just tell us where you are just before Christmas, putting our our podcast together. Well, due to the tier four restrictions, obviously, I've taken the sensible decision of living in a travel lodge, much like Alan Partridge. Um, I'm looking. <laughs> I'm currently looking at the unglamorous view of the HSBC building which is actually blocking out Canary Wharf which is a bit more exciting and I can see six transit vans in a car park <laughs> lovely this is this is this Merry is what Christmas. we talk about with yeah Merry Christmas John with the the times rolling out the red carpet you often want us to mention your club as well this is your opportunity what's your reason to be cheerful or thankful in football in 2020 my reason to be cheerful is that Nottingham Forest haven't yet been relegated to League One <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Listen, we're very cheery people on this podcast. John Jackson, thank you very much. He's the person that's often telling you to buy beer or whatnot during our ad breaks as well. Lovely voice on him when he's smiling. Gregor Robertson, Tom Clark, Jonathan Northcroft. Pleasure to be with you and you, John Jackson. Merry Christmas to all of you. We'll be back the 27th. Is that right, Tom? 28th, I think. Is that is that the Monday? I think it is. 28th. Right. After, after the Boxing Day games, when everything will have changed all over again, Leeds will have won. Everything will be back to normal. Everything will be fine. <laughs> we will be back very soon on the game podcast. But to all of you, very Merry Christmas. Thank you for being with us. A reminder before you go, get yourself a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. There's award-winning journalism. You can get it on any of your devices. In fact, you can gift someone a subscription for Christmas as well. So why not do that? Sign up today. Get yourself one month three. Go online. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. And we'll see you soon. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.